Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, great to have you here uh, with us on the Smart Investing Show every week talking about uh, your investments and your money, your wealth. Uh, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. We do have a lot to cover today. We're going to talk about, uh, well, gosh, we had the uh, employment numbers come out on Friday. We're going to talk about those because they were uh, good numbers and bad numbers. We'll talk about that. Also, the labor market. With that, we talk about the JOLTS report, Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey. Uh, a very important uh, Federal Reserve survey. We also want to talk about the American uh, household net worth, we'll call it. And then also we're going to discuss interest rates uh, as well. And then uh, with me is Chase. Chase, what do you got? Well, as always, hey, you want to join the show here, you already gave out the phone number, but I'll give it one more time. It's 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. And uh, we'll break down, you're looking at buying, selling, holding the stock. We'll, we'll look at those numbers for you and, and see if it is, again, a buy, sell, or hold, looking at the fundamentals, the valuations, the, the balance sheet to see what the stock looks like there. Yeah, and uh, this was quite uh, quite the week. We had uh, good information come out this week. Things are, ch are changing somewhat, and this is why we tell people you've got to be invested because you'll miss weeks like this, days like this. And uh, this week, the Dow, the S and P were up oh between five and six percent. Uh, we'd love to tell you what our portfolio did, but we can't. Uh, SEC rules do not allow us to do that. And, and, and the big thing that we point out is whenever we have people come in for a, a meeting. We go over the 10 best days in the last 15 mm -hmm. years. Now, I think it was uh, in 2008, I believe the number was, it was up 11.6% in a single Correct. day. Yeah. Now, that's just one day. That chart, that graph does not talk about three, five-day stretches. <laughs> and again, you have no idea. And, you know, we do a lot of reading. We, I'm going to say, have a pretty good pulse on what's going on out there. I don't know what the heck's going to happen on Monday. I didn't know what was going to happen this past week. You don't know what's going to happen. And when you're on the sideline and all of a sudden it's like, oh, gosh, now it's up. Eight. What do I do now? Do I get back in? Do I wait? Maybe it'll pull back a little bit. That is why traders have a very hard time making money in the long term. That's why people that get emotional and sell and then have to try and get back in don't do well in the long term is because, again, your emotions will not tell you when to get back in. Like, frankly – what the heck changed this past week to go up that amount? <laughs> well, we, we can talk about that a little bit. because what, And we said these things would change. We said that there would be an end to the strike, you know, going to the holidays. Well, that seems to be over with the, the auto uh, makers there. Uh, we talked about, <clears throat> you know, interest rates seem to be topping out. Uh, the Federal Reserve now seems to be kind of saying, yeah, we're, we're okay now. We're still watching things, but we're not going to do the ten-year Treasury fill. I think about four six, I four think. four five, four Close, five. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, a a big change there, and this happens so quickly that um, people say, "Oh well, I'll just go to a you know a one year CD and get five percent." Well, now if you're in just the S and P five hundred, you made six percent in one 
week. Now what do you do? And I want to rephrase what I said. I said, you know, what the heck changes? There was actually a lot that happened. But for the average investor, the average person, everything you just covered really doesn't change your emotions. They're focusing more on big emotional changes about the economy, about geopolitical conflict. I'm going to say there wasn't anything major to the average eye that really changed their outlook or that would have brought them back into the market, essentially. And you know what does happen as well with emotions? Because when things are going down, your emotions, and they could be right on the downside because like, yes, things are bad. Things are bad. See, I'm glad I got out. But your emotions will not change quick enough when things turn and go come the other way and, and start going back up like this week. Your emotions didn't change because you're right. Nothing really positive came out. There wasn't like a big end to the war in Ukraine or big settlement in the Middle East. No, that didn't happen. Uh, things are still crazy worldwide. But on the financial side, we're seeing things that, yes, we said these would eventually correct themselves. Couldn't tell people when. But there's no way to know when that would happen. And we never know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month. But we do see longer term businesses doing the right things to grow their earnings. We had companies report earnings this past week, and I, I believe all of them did extremely well. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's been a lot of great news. Uh, obviously, Apple reported some, I'm going to say, lackluster numbers on right. Thursday. And, and we don't own Apple. but We don't own Apple, yeah. Um, but that was kind of, I'd say, the, the dominant company that reported this right. past week. And, and this is what we're kind of talking about is even in spite of Apple's lackluster report, it was down a little bit on, uh, well, I think it reported Thursday night, so it was down a little bit yesterday. But the market still did well because now you're starting to see things outside of technology do quite well. Now, technology has carried this market. Now, imagine if you didn't own tech names. That's what's really right. done well this past week, and that's what's kind of lifting the the whole market, even though technology is kind of, I'm going to say, flatlining. That's why we've been telling people, it's, you might want to look outside the Magnificent Seven, because those are going to be the companies that they could rally a lot more over the next one-year, two-year, three-year period rather than being in the Magnificent Seven, which has already had a magnificent run. But we talked a little bit about Apple, uh, and we don't follow it closely, but we just you know heard what the media is talking about. And we talked about how for now, this is their fourth quarter with an overlap, and their earnings, they said... Sales. Sales. Sales were going to be flat, I believe was a... No, what happened was this was their fourth quarter, consecutive quarter of declining sales, sales. and then next quarter, they were expecting to see a return to increase in sales, and they're expecting flat sales. So you're now looking over a two-year period where sales are actually going to be down. Down, yeah. And and yet the stock sells, I think it's trading still at 30, 30 times earnings, I believe. I I believe that's somewhere around there, and it's just, I mean, people keep pointing to the service revenue, and and one thing I didn't know, and I kind of looked closely at the the earnings report just because I was curious on it, but... I think it's somewhere around 20% of this service revenue. Any idea where it comes from? Um, Google. To pay to be the default search engine on Apple phones, 20% of service revenue, essentially close to that number, comes from Google paying for it. So, oh, their service revenue is doing so great. A large chunk of that is coming from just one major company. And I believe that's under scrutiny by... The government, I believe, saying mm-hmm. ah, something's not right with that. So that would be terrible if they lost that, that or, or had to – they wouldn't lose it, but it would be reduced or something would change on it. And it's not going to happen on Monday. 
but it's just a concern that you have. We do get concerned when companies do have a lot of revenue coming from one source, one company, and uh, that's a lot of their service revenue. $19 billion is what Google pays <laughs> per year. Wow. And we know Google is having issues, so we'll see. Or and I, I guess did, Alphabet, sorry. Yeah, Alphabet, yeah. So, uh, But I did uh, look at uh, Apple. Yeah, their, their P.E. ratio now, 29.6. Uh, that's their trailing 12 months. So I don't know. It's a growth company, but I don't know why the, they're paying up for that growth. And that's a, the concern is that stock uh, we talked about could drop to 120, 130. Uh, bring it back in line. So not saying that's out of the question. All right, well, let, let's talk about uh, what happened this past week. And um, let's start off with the employment numbers because uh, while the employment numbers missed expectations, uh, it is a big positive for interest rates as the labor market is slowing and should provide evidence for the Fed that their hiking cycle can end. The headline numbers showed non-farm payrolls increased by just 150,000 in the month of October versus the expectation for an increase of 170,000. The prior two months were also uh, revised lower by a total of 101,000 jobs. While this may sound like bad news, the key takeaway here is the labor market is softening, but it's still doing okay. Areas of strength were healthcare and social assistance up 77,200. Government, 51,000. And I want to point out to people, that's not just the federal government. That's federal government, state government, local government, county governments, all governments combined. Construction, up 23,000. And leisure and hospitality, up 19,000. And the big thing I wanted to talk about, too, it was the government jobs. And while we generally don't like to see that group leading the way in employment reports, Hiring has actually lagged in the sector and has now finally returned to pre-COVID levels. So the private market really recovered much faster than, I'm going to say, the public market, the government market. So I'm kind of okay with now this catch-up that we've seen in the government jobs because now we're right back in line where we were in 2019, obviously, before COVID hit. Now, I wouldn't like to see government now continuing to add 51,000 jobs a month. Right. That's going to be a little bit too much, and it wouldn't be an indicator of a healthy jobs market, in my opinion. So that is something I want to keep a close eye on now that it's back to a normalized level. But I don't think the report breaks out where the government jobs are. And you could have, you know, there's there's places across the country, like states, counties, cities that are doing very well. So it doesn't break that out. It just shows you can, government jobs. You can dive deeper into oh, the report to see okay. if it's, you know, teachers. I mean, that that's one that is part of it. Just public schools uh-huh. is hiring. So, you know, that's kind of where you can dive deeper into what those jobs are. It gets really into the nitty gritty of that report, but that is something you can look at closer. And and frankly, if it continues to add that amount, that's something that you, you probably would want to, yeah. to look at because it, it if the, the labor market's adding 100,000 and the government's adding 50,000, that's not a healthy labor market. Well, it could be if it's in healthy cities. And that's, that's why we really got to do that dive into it to see where those government well, jobs I, are. The reason I say it's not healthy is because, frankly, the, the private sector is what really is going to drive the economy forward. And if the private sector is not hiring, and even if it's local right. government, that's still going to be a problem in terms of the health of our economy. Yeah. You actually need both. Is what you exactly. Yeah. Well, one other thing, too, I wanted to point out in this report was manufacturing was a, a major loser in the month as 35,000 jobs were lost. And, oh, my gosh, while this may sound troubling, there was this little thing known as the <laughs> UAW strike that occurred, and 33,000 of those lost jobs came from motor vehicles and parts. Now, with the resolution in place with the auto manufacturers, we should see most of these jobs come back next month. So you should see a, a nice uptick in manufacturing. 
And also another major positive I wanted to point out here was on the inflation front. As the average hourly earnings increased 0.2% in the month versus expectations for 0.3%. The other thing, too, looking at is compared to last year, average hourly earnings were up 4.1%, which would actually mark the smallest year-over-year increase since June 2021. So that is a... a a big, big positive on the inflation front is companies now are having less problems with, I'm going to say, wage inflation, yeah. which should help overall inflation in theory. I, and as we talked about in the beginning, we explained why it was a good report, bad report. Uh, this report really, and I think that's why probably the markets moved on Friday the way they did because of uh, this report was a good report, bad report. Uh, it's just what we, we, we needed here and said would happen. Things are, are slowing down, but we're not losing, yeah. you know, 300,000 jobs. We're, we're not going into a recession. Things are slowing down, which means inflation will slow down. And uh, I, I was very happy to see the report. And then, and then uh, well, just real quickly, the, sure. the key word here is softening. Yes. Y- you want a softening labor market. You want a softening economy. You don't want a declining economy or a declining labor market. Exactly, yeah. It, and, and that's what we have now. We have, we have a very good situation as far as where we stand on the labor market. Speaking of that, let's talk about the JOLTS report because even with a softening labor market, there were still plenty of jobs out there. The job opening and labor turnover survey called JOLTS uh, showed there were 9.55 million available jobs in the month of September, which means the ratio of job openings to available workers still stands at impressive 1.5 to 1. Now, the number of layoffs in the month, that also headed lower and stood at just 1.5 million compared to 1.7 million in the month of August. As a reminder, before COVID in 2019, layoffs averaged over 1.8 million per month. So, again, that's a big positive. And a lot of times people, again, they look <clears throat> at one number and they fix it. That sounds terrible, 1.5 million layoffs. Right. But, again, it's all relative, and that's where we want to look at, you know, a very healthy economy back in 2019 pre-COVID. That's $1.8 million per month. So we still have been within that range and even under that range over this past, what is it now, 10 months mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the year of 2023. So still, again, the, the labor market, it, it, it's holding up. And that's very important because I have said many times before, if you have a job, you're going to complain about prices, you're going to complain about things, but you're still going to go out and go to the movies, <clears throat> go shopping. Uh, I think this week we did have a thing about, uh, was it this week or last week, about concerts who I just can't believe people are paying $122 for a ticket. <laughs> it was just uh, people are still spending money because when you have that job, you, you you feel better, especially also, too, they have seen increases over the last few years. If they're investing properly in their 401k, in their 401k, in their house, there's many positives that people, yeah, will complain about things, but yeah, overall, we're doing pretty well. So something that uh, you have to kind of look at. I, I, speaking of that, I, I, do, I do want to talk about this uh, Federal Reserve Survey because a, a recent Federal Reserve Survey said the average American is now worth $1 million dollars which is up 42% from 749000 back in 2019. Now, you may be thinking that includes multimillionaires and billionaires. This is why the median wealth gives one a better idea of where America stands. So we always talk about the median. The median is a very important number. From 2019 to 2022, median wealth hit 193000 which is an increase of 37% adjusted for inflation. Again, I want to reemphasize that. 
Adjusted for inflation. Oh, yes. Oh, well, inflation. <laughs> adjusted for inflation means the inflation's accounted for. So that's a very impressive number. And actually, I believe it it was the largest increase. I, I talked about this on Fox 5 the past week. I believe this was the largest increase ever over that three-year period for this Federal Reserve survey. The next closest was I believe, 2004 to 2007, and that increase was like half, half what this one was. So it, it, yep. it's, a, again, a big positive, and um, glad to see that. Now, one thing, too, that we wanted to point out is if we look at, let's see here, 16 million American families are a little over 12% now have wealth exceeding $1 million, which is up from $9.8 million in 2019. These millionaires have received over 90% of their wealth from owning stocks, which is above the 87% home ownership rate. It would also it was also discussed that for the most part they became wealthy over time and it did not happen quickly. Again, these are not people that bought GameStop during the <laughs> uh, craziness here. Also, a lesson for the younger generation: don't be in a hurry to make big returns and lose all your money. Be smart by investing in good quality equities and using taxpayer advantage programs like IRAs and 401ks. Also, it's important to look where you'll be in 30 years, not 30 days, because that's where, again, you can lose big and wipe out your entire net worth. Yeah, you're trying to get a hurry to do it quickly, and you end up going backwards because you lost. Uh, buying crypto, buying GameStop, buying, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Uh, cannabis stocks, whatever you want to say, um, it, it, it's, it's a losing game. But if you do it patiently with good quality businesses that have the strong fundamentals we always talk about, and we say if we can average 10% on average per year over the next 10 years, uh, that's what we're shooting for. We're not shooting to make you a millionaire next week because that, that's a losing game. But uh, and, and everybody my age says, gosh, I can't believe how fast time went. Well, looking forward like 30 years seems like, oh, it's so long. Looking back like, wow, where, where did that 30 yeah. years go? And if you had just stayed invested through that 30 years and the right investments, you'd done very well. Yeah, and, and I think the big confusion people has is investing in your retirement, investing in you know that longer term, is not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is that's how you can make it big, essentially. But I'll tell you, not everybody makes it big as an entrepreneur. Right. But when you look at investing, that's not the goal of investing. The goal of investing is to make sure you're growing that net worth over time in the longer term and setting yourself up for for you know I'm going to say good and I say safe returns, but that doesn't mean they're not volatile returns essentially in the long run. Exactly. Well, let's lastly talk about uh, interest rates because, uh, and I do want to get the phone numbers. Uh, we'll be taking calls pretty soon here. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As always, get you through that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. And I did want to say as well, just on this, this survey, I, I believe the number of people that actually started investing in stocks, it increased from 15% of households, I believe up to 21, 22% of households. Yep. So it, it's good to see more people are now investing. But the problem is, again, they started investing probably in 2021. And now 2022, 2023, they've been difficult years. So I'm hoping that those people that are newer investors, they're being patient because I, I worry that it can really detract from the the long-term ideology and saying, oh my gosh, well, this is just a waste because I, now I'm down over a you know one, two-year period. Why am I even wasting my time investing? Which again, can really hurt the psychology of new investors. You know, I have to say, I, I went to my dentist a couple of weeks ago and one of the uh, the assistants there, she said, you know, I invested in stocks a couple thousand dollars. I haven't really made that much money. Well, 
you're not going to make that much money. And I hate to say this with only $2,000. My 10% return is only $200, which is uh, less than $20 a month. Yeah. So you're not going to see, and that's that's a problem, is that people get this expectation where I'm in stocks, I've invested 2000 should be 10000 No, at the end of the year, it should be 2000 maybe 200, 2,200. Yeah. So the expectations really destroy investing. Another emotional problem that we have. Or it might be 1,900. Yeah, it yeah. might be lower. But again, you look over five years, if you're adding to it, I mean, that's really where that, that compounding takes hold. And that, yeah. we actually do 401k meetings for our um, you know small business owners where we manage their 401ks. And we have a chart in there that says if you invest $500 a month, this again just assumes that you right. start with $500. If you do the $500 a month and average a 9% return over, I believe it's five years, maybe mistaking this, is it five years? I think it's over 10 years, you'd have close to $100,000. Right. Now, if you look over 40 years, it grows to over $2 million <laughs> just by saving $500 a month. Obviously, you save more, it's going to increase exponentially, essentially. Right. And people say, yeah, but in 40 years, that won't be worth that much. That's true. However, if you're still doing $500 a month, 10 years, 20 years from now, you're not keeping a pace with inflation yourself. So you're going to get paid more, you should be doing more. So the equivalent would be the same there. So, uh, uh, and, and Dwayne, be, be patient. We're going to get to you pretty soon here. I just saw him uh, out of the corner of my eye there. Uh, interest rates, uh, while I believe over the next couple of years will decline from these levels, I'm not optimistic it will be a major decline. One reason for that is the elevated government deficit. It was announced that Treasury will be auctioning off $776 billion of debt in the final quarter of 2023 and $816 billion in the first quarter of 2024. Now, this comes as the government recently announced the fiscal 2023 budget deficit would be about $1.7 trillion, which is an increase of $320 billion compared to the prior year. It's important to remember that the debt market, it's based on supply and demand like many other markets out there. If there's not enough demand at lower interest rates, to absorb the remaining supply of bonds, the interest rate has to climb to, again, attract those investors into that interest rate. Yeah, and, it, and we're talking about the longer end, and this is where people get confused uh, on interest rates because those short-term T-bills, those short-term CDs you're getting, that's on the lower end. And and I think you're going to see over the next year lower uh, or shorter-term maturities go down. Uh, not like the longer-term maturities. Yeah, I mean, even the shorter-term maturities are still based off supply and demand, but the, the Fed has that interest rate that they're increasing, decreasing on the Fed's funds rate, which really affects the shorter end of the curve generally. So they start cutting, that's where the shorter end is going to fall. The longer-term end is, I'm going to say, it's still influenced by the, the Fed funds rate, but not as much. And it's going to be, again, focused on that supply and demand and how much money does the government need to raise over the coming years. But the big thing I, I wanted to point out is when I say rates aren't going to fall that much, I I want to I believe over the next three to five years, you could see the tenure between three and a half to four and a half percent. I think that's where we're going to be at over the next three to five years, and that's going to be a, a realistic rate. A lot of times people say, well, when are the mortgages going to go back to under three <laughs> percent? I do not see that happening. No. Again, I, I've said this before. I don't even know if it's going to happen again in my lifetime. Hmm. Definitely not in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so, I could live to be 120. Who knows? <laughs> I, I still don't think it's going to happen. I, I mean, it was such an anomaly. It, it's, again, like the 17 18% mortgage rates that happened in the 70s. I don't think we're ever going to get there again. Right. I, I think it was just such a weird environment that I think 
We saw the upper end in the 70s, and I think you're going to look back over history, you know, 30, 40 years from now and say, wow, you know, that's crazy. You could have gotten a mortgage at two and a quarter, two and three quarters. It's something that, again, is, I I think, gone in the past. And I'm a little bit less optimistic on the upper end. I I think over the next five years, we could see the uh, 10-year Treasury eh, between 4 to 6% on the higher side. And a normal, more, uh, uh, normal, normal, more normal yield curve, uh, which is usually about a two and a half to three percent from top to bottom. So that means you'd see on the lower end, uh, two to three percent on the lower end is what you could see. Yeah, so. I, I don't know if we'll get to six, but uh, I know Jamie Dimon said oh, you got to prep for it. Yeah. You know, it, it could happen. I think six would would be a. It could really hurt. Yeah, it could really hurt. It is on the higher side, but I'm just saying that could happen. Uh, but it wouldn't hurt as much as people think because, again, the, the 10-year Treasury has been much higher than over time. I, I'm just being more cautious, I guess, on a higher level of 6%. But we would make it through that. So uh, this all comes from our newsletter that, that goes out uh, every uh, Friday at 5 o'clock. Other items on there, we talked about what's going on with the Florida oranges because uh, a lot of shortages there on oranges. Uh, live entertainment, uh, talk about the concerts, uh, stocks, what they've been doing, tariffs, housing rates. Um, all these things uh, are, are on our newsletter. It is free. Go to our website, Smart investing2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll get it uh, every Friday at 5 o'clock. You can also see past issues there as well. So uh, go to the website, sign up for it at uh, smartinvesting2000.com. All right, uh, phone number is here, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Dwayne, who's been waiting very patiently. Dwayne, you're in the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Good morning. Really appreciate your insight, as always. Um, I was interested in your thoughts or review of a company called Tenable Holdings. Its uh, symbol is T as in Tom, E N B as in boy. And do you hold that or are you looking to buy that? I actually hold it. Uh, um, not not very many shares, uh, and I'm just I'm just trying to figure out whether to uh, continue to hold it or. Uh, perhaps uh, purchase some more. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Tenable Holdings, symbol is T-E-N-B. They're in the software industry. Uh, only 2.7 uh, short. That's not bad at all. 92% institutional owned. No P-E ratio over the last 12 months. So it tells you over the last 12 months, they've not had any earnings. Industry is at 45.6%. Uh, price of sales, 5.5. That's below the institute, 84 And Valuation ratios, you want them lower than the industry average. Uh, price to book value, 12.5 versus 10.3. Price to cash flow, 29.7 versus 26. And peg, uh, peg ratio, 1.4 versus 2.1. Lower that peg ratio, the better. Also, too, uh, no earnings over the last uh, one year and even five year. Uh, sales were up 14.8% uh, over the last one year. Just about the same as the industry at 16.4. They do not pay a dividend. Uh, the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.6 versus the industry at 1.7. That's good. Debt to equity 1.3 versus 3.2. That's a big positive there. Net profit margin, well, here's why there's no earnings, a negative 11% versus a positive 18% for the industry. And return on equity also not looking good, a negative, 28, uh, a negative 25.8%. 
versus a positive 35.3. So don't like saying that. Chase? Well, just kind of looking at the company here, they, they do provide cyber exposure solutions in the Americas, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and the Asia Pacific, as well as Japan. Uh, obviously, I think that's a, a very dynamic area. As we know, cyber is kind of the, the new warfare, essentially, and it, it's something that that is going to be very important in, in our economy and, and, and for businesses to, to, to kind of grapple with. I will say I do see that the, the company reported earnings this past week on uh, November 1st, and, and it looks like they, they took quite a hit after the reported earnings. So definitely would want to kind of dig through that that earnings call and, and what exactly happened there, because I see over the last five days the, the stock is down about 11%, even with a update of 5% on Friday. So they, they took, as I said, a pretty big hit there uh, after reporting earnings. But looking at the current price, it is $37.10. The, the 52-week low, $33.77. And the 52-week high, well, it's $49.77. Going forward for the company, we go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of 79 cents would give us a target sell price here $13.11 I mean the, the company is expensive it trades at 46 ish times future earnings so it's definitely in that growth industry not surprised since it is a, a cyber company and people are really expecting that industry to grow but it, it's something that again we don't do as value investors it, it's just quite risky. I don't know who the big cyber players are going to be down the road and uh, maybe it's Tenable, maybe it's another company and all of a sudden they don't grow as fast as anticipated, that's where the stock could have some big, big problems. All righty, Dwayne. Thank you very much. You're, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Armando. Armando, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you Oh yeah. Good morning. Uh, I just had a quick question to ask you guys. Um, sure. If you guys have heard of like the the savings retirement program that California rolled out like last year. Yes. The Cal Savers program. If yes. you can give me your opinion on it, thank you. Sure, sure. And I mean that's something that it's one of these good things, bad things. It's it's a good thing because it gives every every employee in California an option to get in some type of retirement plan. The bad side is it's not a very good plan. Yeah, and I have kind of two different uh, perspectives here. Obviously, you have your employee viewpoint and your employer viewpoint. From the employee side, I personally would not do it. I would because there's no match from the employer. There, right. There's no real benefit. It's, it's a, essentially a Roth IRA is, is all it is. I would rather just put money into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA and do that myself because then you have way more investment options yeah. rather than what CalSavers is is offering. And the only benefit there is they have the payroll deduction. But I always tell people the payroll deduction really isn't that great. It's the same thing as an ACH. If you were to get paid, <laughs> put the money in your checking account, and then do an ACH into a Roth IRA, essentially it's the, the same type of situation. There. And, and that's why I say it's the good part because a lot of people won't take that extra step. And I just talked to a client last night. He goes, yeah. My employer has a 401k. I got to sign up for it. So that's why with the Cal Savers, it's a little bit easier to sign up for it. But you're 100% right. You can you should do a Roth. You got so many options. But people, they have to do the work, the work, the paperwork to get that ACH. So you're right on that. Got to do it though. And then on the employer front, um, I will say 
I don't know why you wouldn't do this as an employer, but um, you know, if you're not really looking to contribute to the plan, it's the lowest cost option for you to to still satisfy California regulations. But if you actually were to implement a 401k as an employer, there's a lot more tax benefits. I believe it's a lot better for your employees as well to offer the 401k because there's higher deduction limits, there's uh, more flexibility, there's more optionality to it. So I, I'm not a big fan of the Cal Savers for select people. Uh, for select business owners, it, it can make sense to satisfy California regulations, but frankly, I don't think it's a very good plan. Yeah, and, and we, we've actually, because we do 401k plans for small businesses, and we've gone up against the Cal Savers plan, and it, we, we always win hands down because of how much better it is. Uh, Armando, I, I guess by you asking this question, that means that you have at your work a Cal Savers plan? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you sign up for it, or you're kind of thinking about it? thinking about it. All right. Well, as Chase said, if you can be disciplined and do what Chase says, you're better off going that route and do the ACH from your checking account. Uh, but if if not, as I said, it's better than nothing to get something going there. Uh, do you work for a small employer or a larger employer? Uh, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, try to yeah. say, hey, can't we do a regular 401k? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That guy, Brent Chase, they can set it up for you. <laughs> Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, if if, if they're not going to change that, as Chase said, but you've got to be disciplined to actually do it yourself to do a, the Roth or even a traditional IRA on your own versus a Cal Savers. But if you're not going to do that, just like yeah, just go ahead and take out you know five percent, put a retirement plan, um, and again, the options aren't always that great as a problem. Well, let me just kind of give you some numbers here. The, the contribution limit for Cal Savers is again six thousand or seven thousand for employees age fifty and older. That's the same essentially as a, a Roth IRA or traditional IRA. So you're not getting any benefit there. Employers can't match the contributions. And also, too, there it looks like there's fees for the employees of 0.825 to 0.95% per year. I, I, frankly, I, I think it'd be better just to put that money. And I'm not recommending this, but it's essentially just index funds. You'd be better off putting into the S&P 500 index fund than putting it into the Cal Savers index funds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the expenses are very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does that help you out, Armando? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you too, bro. All right. That opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase, for years, I have been a big proponent of people putting their 401ks, especially to get that match. Uh, I, I And I... I, I like to see employers do what's right for their employees. I just don't think doing the Cal Savers better. We can give them a much better 401k plan that everybody's happy on versus just, ah, we'll just do the Cal Savers. And I was wrong, actually. The, that limit was for 2022. The limit now for 2023 is 6,500 and 7,500 if you're over 50. That um, that changed in 2023. It's just, it's just the yeah. same limit as a Roth IRA or traditional right. IRA, and it's going to change in accordance with right. that. And for somebody that does nothing... Well, it's better than nothing, but it's not the best thing to do. But again, the paperwork you have to do is not going to be much different than the paperwork you would have to do to set up an IRA and set up the ACH. It's, it's going to take about the same amount of time. It, true. You and I do this all day long. I know. But, but think about somebody that's an auto mechanic or, you know. Uh, it's just not top of mind. Not top of mind. Like, yeah, I got to do that. got to do that. And and the general I was talking about, he had a 100% match in his 401k. And I go, 
Monday morning, you get in the first thing, you, you sign up for your 401k. Stop fooling around. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's talk to our uh, financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how are you doing today? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Today we're talking about adjustable rate mortgage demand spikes. And I, I'm i very curious on this because one thing – well, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, and then I'm going to talk more about it. So so go ahead. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's no secret that mortgage rates have climbed to their highest levels in over two decades. Uh, this has caused a lot of potential home buyers to consider adjustable rate mortgages as the initial interest rate can be significantly less. Uh, while the 30-year fixed loan rate is around 8%, the rate for a 5-1 ARM loan hovers around 6.75%. These have a fixed rate for the first five years of the loan before then becoming variable. So borrowers are having the idea of using an adjustable rate mortgage to lock in the lower initial rate and then refinancing later on down the low, uh, um, later on down the road before the fixed term ends, hopefully at a lower rate in the future. Um, while the rate can look more attractive, these adjustable rate loans generally come with higher point costs. A point is an extra fee attached to a mortgage that's due at closing. And currently, mortgage rates are priced based on the assumption that borrowers will look to refinance as soon as mortgage rates fall. Since adjustable rate mortgages have a lower initial rate and therefore less interest, extra points are added to make up for the fact that they will likely be refinanced. So home buyers must look not only at the interest rate, but also at the point costs and also how long they expect to have that loan before moving or refinancing. With mortgage rates at the current highs, it may make sense to accept a higher rate temporarily if the ultimate plan is to refinance within the next few years. And another thing I wanted to point out is one point is equal to 1% of the loan value, and it's essentially extra interest you're paying. Since it's interest, that also means it's tax deductible, so the timing of when you would buy a house can have an impact on your tax situation. Mortgage interest is an itemized deduction, which means you need to have a lot of itemized deductions to exceed the standard deduction and actually receive a tax benefit. For example, if you buy a house before the end of the year and pay points, those points probably will not reduce your taxes at all because you won't have enough itemized deductions since you won't have a full year's worth of interest to deduct yet, mortgage interest. Now, if you buy at the beginning of the year, now you could have points and mortgage to deduct at the same time and then most likely would get a tax deduction. Either way, I don't think it makes sense to pay points right now, but if you are going to do it because in your situation it makes sense, best not to do it before the end of the year. And Harrison, this this is such a complicated situation for people. There's so many different things they can mess up on. You brought up a great one like, oh, great, I get this great tax deduction. I'm going to pay for these points. Harrison said so on the radio, but they didn't hear the second half that they may not have enough of deductions to get that deduction. So very important to, to sit down with somebody and, and there's some good mortgage brokers out there. There's some bad ones out there. You want to make sure you're talking to somebody that gives you all the options uh, of what you can do. And the other thing, too, I want to talk about is see what that rate is tied to because um, I do believe you could see uh, the just white mortgages come down because as short-term rates come down, they should come down as well. So you've got to understand what that's tied to. And there's so many factors you have to look at, which is why 
you know, a good financial plan to make sense because if you're thinking of flip this home in two years, what we're talking about makes no sense. But if you're, you know, going to have a family, going to stay there for 10, 15, 20 years, it could make sense for you. So always got to look at all the different options with a good financial planner. I want to say here too, Harrison, is, I mean, this is why in our office we talk about why we believe financial advisors, financial planners can't do the investments and do the financial planning. It's because, frankly, when I look at this, I'm like, why wouldn't you do the arm? Mm -hmm. You're paying a lower interest rate. I think rates are going to go down over the next few years. And also, too, if you're moving in the next five, yeah, why wouldn't you do take the lower rate so you're not paying more in interest? Well, it takes a good financial planner that's actually reading into the details. Quite frankly, I don't have the time to read in the details of of the difference between the the arm and the the 30-year. I just looked at the headline numbers. And you could have made a huge investment mistake, excuse me, a financial planning mistake by looking at the headline numbers rather than digging into the details. And that's really where I think... The way we do financial planning adds so much value because Harrison's just looking at stuff like this all the time. And Harrison, at our firm, you as a financial planner, this is something that, uh, again, you're kind of on retainer for people. So they're thinking of doing this. And I, I believe you're one of the few financial planners in San Diego that is there for people on an ongoing basis. Many times you do a financial plan. Here's a book. Great. See you later. We're going to invest some money. We'll see you next year. You're there for people if they say, yeah, I'm looking at buying this house what should I do? You're there to kind of help them through the best way financially, correct? When I do a presentation for someone, I always have a segment in there about mortgages, whether they have a current mortgage, whether they're looking at buying it mortgage, uh, you know, an overview of how to look at mortgages. But then, you're right, it comes up where someone is going to be moving for whatever reason because they're retiring, moving out of state, or they're looking at upsizing, or they're looking at downsizing, you know, what do current interest rates look like? What's the timing of it? How are we going to finance it? How much should we put down? Does it make sense to pay points? What's going to be the tax impact? Um, what rate is going to look like now versus buying in a year? So all of those things I look at on an ongoing basis um, and, and kind of counsel people on. All right. Well, well, that's why people need to you know, get that free consultation from you and, and talk to you about that. So, Harrison, thanks very much. Uh, have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So that, again, is uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. If you want a free consultation with him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or send him an email. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That, again, is smartinvesting2000.com, and set up for that free consultation with him. And if you have a financial planner, compare him to what you have. I know he'll win, hands down. So, all righty, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Scott. Scott, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I sold a rental property this year. I've been a landlord about 30 years. I have multiple rentals and I'm getting tired of being a landlord. So I sold one, I put it in a 1031, uh, expecting to reinvestment. And after thinking about it, I'm at that point to where I'm just going to take the tax hit and keep the rest of it, which will be about 250,000. And so my question is, what would be best to do with that? I'm thinking maybe a year-long CD or something like that. What's your thoughts on that one? And well, then I'm also going to sell one next year, and that'll net me about 150000 Well, Well, what is your expectation from this, we'll call it $250,000? Are you going to use that for something else a year from now, or is that just, do you want that to keep growing like they would have in the rental property? What is, what is your thoughts there with that money? 
Yeah, primarily uh, keep it growing to a certain degree, but also being able to use some. I'm 60 years old now, so I want to use it uh, for enjoyment of life. Okay. All right. I mean, and one thing I'm thinking is that you invest the money, uh, you set up an S block on it so that if you do need something down the road, you can maybe borrow against that money, but think longer term. Don't think a one year CD at 5% because we talked about the reinvestment risk you're going to have a year from now. Shoot. Now, now I can't get that 5% CD. Now I get a three and a half or 4%. Um, you know, look at investing it for a longer period, but give you some options in case something else comes up. What do you uh, think, Chase? One other thing to consider here as well is, you know, for our clients, we, we do set up an income portfolio. And I, I know a lot of times when people have rentals, they, they kind of become accustomed to, you know, collecting rent right. off of that and that monthly check. So we have an income portfolio at our firm where we pay a 6% distribution rate off of the uh, account value or the invested amount. So that gives you a little bit uh -huh. of income in the longer term. Also, I tell people, well, if you don't need the 6% and you want it to more grow, and then I think you said you're 60, so at 65, maybe you want to take more income. So you leave that invested, and then in five years, you start taking income from it at a higher monthly check. So that's kind of what I would look at personally. The As we talk about with the one-year CDs, the problem we see is right now you can get 5% on a one-year CD, but next year rates come down. Maybe now you get 4% on a one-year CD. You're going to start having problems growing those funds in the longer term. And as Brent said, if it was maybe you were doing something in a year, yeah, the one-year CD would make sense. But it sounds like it's more of a longer-term goal here. I, I would definitely look to invest the money. And we'd be happy to show you how we do things and, and see if that would be a good fit for you as well with the funds. And, and one thing, too, Scott, is that uh, you just heard uh, Harrison, our financial planner. Now, he he doesn't just do a financial plan. He's also hourly to where, like, you have a situation. Because he has shown people on the real estate side, I know you're kind of done with the real estate because all the hassles want to kind of slow down. Uh, that how it actually may be more beneficial for you longer term to invest it and pay the taxes because I think that's your thing like, ah, you know, is this the right thing to do? So he actually does yeah. do that for people. He's actually showed what your rate of return is, you know, the tax situation, and then investing it, which would be, I mean, he has a lot of different options that as well because we'll, we'll look at the investment side for you, and, I, and I'm believing, especially with this 250, you've done it already, that's the way to go. But you might be, sounds like you're thinking about maybe doing another one, you're not sure. Well, you know, spend a couple hours with Harrison. He, he might be able to figure that out for you and say, well, if you do it this way, this will be your benefits or this would be mm -hmm. better for you that way. So just a, it's an unbiased opinion. Uh, you are paying for his time to do it, but that's why it's unbiased. So, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely lean towards, you know, what Chase said as well is, you know, invest the money um, because if it's growing well for you, you're not going to worry about, oh, what else should I do with it? So, already? Yeah. Okay. Great. That sounds great. Thanks. Hey, Scott. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, uh, we, we, we're way backed up on our emails here, so I'm going to uh, try to get in a couple emails before we're uh, done with the show here. Uh, this says, uh, welcome back from all the various, <laughs> all the various wedding f festivities. Uh, it's like the thing to do around Wham, you know, we'll say as a management, want to get married? Come to work for Wham. I, I thought that was pretty funny. I saw that. <laughs> uh, I've checked all your recent uh, podcasts, and, uh, and by the way, I got married uh, in July. Harrison just got married, what, a couple weeks ago? Chase got married a year ago. Has been a year yet? Yeah, it's over years. Uh, October eighth last wow. year. Yeah, goes goes by quickly. Who's who's next in our office? I don't right. know. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, anyways, uh, he said I've checked all the recent podcasts. I've not heard you guys go over my MMP to OKE request. Now, as I'm getting rather ancient, <laughs> I, I may simply have missed it. Uh, if that is the case, can you tell me what podcast it is within? Uh, if not, then I shall again request. Should you have a slow time on your show on Saturday, Mandarin, 
Then you offer one of the legacy, late, late legacy BC. Oh, Brent Chase analysis. That's what it's BC. So, well, well let's take a look at because whenever you have this situation where another company has bought the other company, you want to look at the new company, which is OKE. So I've got to put in the OKE. You got, you got I, I wanted to just break down the deal real quick sure. as well. So the holders of MMP units received 0.667 shares of OKE common stock for each MMP unit, and also $25 in cash for each MMP unit for a total consideration value of $69.38 per unit. So um, obviously the cash, you're, you're kind of free to do with whatever you want on the investing front. Uh, generally, when a, a company gets acquired, I like more of the cash because <laughs> yeah. you're not stuck in the new company. But now the question, as you said, becomes what do you do with the shares of OKE that you've received? And is it worth to hold it or should you sell them? And that's why we'll look at the, the numbers on OKE, which is uh, uh, ONIC. Oh, or one, OK. one OK? One OK? I wonder yeah. if it has something to do with Oklahoma. Like one Oklahoma be. or something. Yeah. Oklahoma is okay. I remember that in the license plate. So maybe it is uh, in Oklahoma. Yeah, because they're headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There you go. So I'm assuming it has something to do with Oklahoma. Well, the symbol, OKE. Uh, in the oil and gas midstream, a float very low, 2.5%. Institutional owns 70%. Uh, PE looking okay, 12.3, but that's slightly above the industry at 11.5. Price to sales, 1.7 versus 1.2. Price to book value, 2.4 versus 2.1. Price to cash flow, 7.6 versus 6.1. And the peg ratio, very good, 1.6 because the energy is at 13.5. And remember, you want that peg ratio lower, so that's a good number there. Now, the earnings over the last year are up 50.7% versus 487 for the industry. Still a positive there. Sales were down uh, 23.3%, but the industry was down 10.7%, so that's not good. Uh, dividend, they pay a 5.7% dividend, use 70% of their earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1, same as the industry, debt to equity 1.4 versus 1.8, net profit margin 14.1 versus 11.9, Return to equity, 15.1 versus 14.7. And I do have to point out, you do have to look at what changes this came from the movement. Because this this shows numbers as of June, so they could all change. I'm not sure when this transaction took place, but that's going to change with new additions from the other company with their debt and everything else. That's a great point, because uh, the transaction closed September 25th. So let's see. Yeah, September 31st would have been the end of the quarter. Yeah. So you're not going to have much information from a, a full quarter of this data yet. But again, if you listen to the conference call, you should get a lot more from management. Always curious about integration synergies, you know, potential growth with this new uh, acquisition. So there's a lot to kind of break down that, unfortunately, we don't have time to do on the radio or, frankly, that I have time to do not holding it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, definitely want to understand a little bit more about what's going on with, with this integration with these two two companies. Looking at the current price, though, for OKE, it's $66.84. The 52-week low is $55.91, and the high is $71.57. If we go forward for the company, I have an issue here clicking on my mouse, but if we go forward to December 2024, can't click on this earnings estimates. Here we go. December 2024, the estimated earnings per share is $4.99. It gives us a target sell price of $82.83. It would actually be, I, I believe, in the hold category for us because it, it trades about uh, a little over 13 times the future earnings. We normally like to buy around 10 to 12. But in this case, I, I know you already have the OKE stock. So maybe it makes some sense to hold. Get a nice dividend, I believe, with it. 
uh, would definitely just want to know a little bit more about what's going on with this because you, you could be blindsided down the and, road. And one thing, too, I noticed uh, December 2023 earnings were 576, so they're falling from one year to the next. Not sure why that is. Maybe it's because of this acquisition they did, but I, I, I like to see earnings increase year by year and not go down. So that'd be one thing I'd be considered up to. Well, obviously, the further out you go, the, the less analysts there are, but I see 2025 year returning in growth, so there, there could be some one time charges that yeah. are occurring with this integration. Mm-hmm. So that's again, because generally if you, you acquire a company, you may have some layoffs, you may have um, selling of some properties, which sounds like, oh, well, that'd be positive. Well, actually, sometimes that can come with earnings write-offs that right. occur. So that may be a, a problem to, to kind of dive down deeper into. And as I said, if I owned this, I would really need to spend a lot of time looking at the integration between these two companies. Yeah, and we always tell people that, you know, we're looking at investing in the company. It's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. Uh, same thing would be applicable here because you're kind of buying a new company. You want to understand what's going on with that company. We had a company that this uh, past year, it's not been done yet. Looks like it may even fall apart, but they had a deal, and we looked at the new deal. At first, we thought, oh, this is terrible. Let's get out of it. Then did some research, and wait a minute. This deal is actually pretty good, but it took time to kind of read into it. So when this happens, we can kind of run over the numbers for you like we did, but you really got to kind of spend time, understand the deal, understand what happens, what they're going to do. You know, it takes, again, that 10 to 20 hours we talk about because you now have a new company you have to understand. All that and the integration. It's not like you're just taking two small businesses and integrating them. (laughs) These are going to be two rather large businesses that that it's going to take time for the integration to actually be implemented. It could take a couple years. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go out to uh, Spring Valley and speak with Ricardo. Ricardo, you're on the Smart Invest Show with uh, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Love your show. Thank you. Reason I'm calling in, um, I own I owned AT&T stock, and they did a spinoff uh, a year or two years ago, and I have some Warner Brothers stock, and I'm looking for dividends. Warner Brothers stock is down a whole lot since they did the split, so I'm wondering if I should sell it and get into something else that's going to pay me dividends. Okay. Well, well, let's take a look at the, the numbers here. And you say you're looking for dividends, and we like dividends as well. I was kind of curious what your reason was for looking for dividends. Um, I want to plan for retirement. I got into the investing game a little bit late in life. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do, I try to st- structure, and I don't have a whole lot, but I try to structure my dividends to get for when a retirement in about 20 years to get a monthly paycheck off my dividends. Okay. All right. And and there's ways that we actually sometimes will kind of tell you that when we do an income for our retirement uh, accounts, we structure it so we use dividends and capital gains so you get like a 6% distribution rate in, in your income when you retire. So we'll kind of help you on that a little bit. So uh, do you get our newsletter by chance, uh, Ricardo? What's that? Do you get our newsletter by chance? Uh, no, actually, I do not. No. Yeah. Well, what thing I want to do is sign up for that because we do put different things in there that may be helpful for you as well. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. It's right in the middle of the newsletter. I think that'd help you out as well. But let's take a look at Warner Brothers Discovery for you here. Symbol WBD. They're in the entertainment industry. Uh, not much float on it, 3.8%. Uh, institutional owned, 61%. Uh, no PE ratio because they do not have earnings at this point in time. However, price to sales is only 0.7 versus 1.8. And price to book value is 0.6 versus 2.4. And that means you're paying 60 cents on the dollar 
for the the assets or the book value of this company, very, very low. And then price of cash flow, 6.6 versus 18. That's another positive. Now, they had no earnings over the last year. However, sales over the last year are 61.1% uh, increase, which is very surprising to me with a strike, uh, which is uh, industry down 3.3. And that strike, sooner or later, has to come to an end, which would be a big positive for them and, and many of the others in the entertainment industry. As you said, they do not pay a dividend. Their balance sheet, current ratio 0.8 versus 1.2, that's okay. Debt equity 1 versus 1.2, that's better than the industry. Their net profit margin right now is a negative 16%. Return on equity, a negative 14.9. And then return on invested capital, a negative 4.9 versus 8.6. Uh, Chase, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Warner Brothers is $11.77. See, the 52-week low is $8.82. And the high, well, $16.34. Now, if we go forward for the company... If we go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.03. It would give us a target sell price here of $17.10. Trades at a forward PE of about 11 and a half times. Um, great value here in terms of the earnings. And this is one that we kind of talk about from the previous company we looked at. Warner Brothers Discovery, they're still in the middle of integrating Warner Brothers and obviously discovery here. So that's taking some time. There's a lot of integration expenses, a lot of non-cash charges that have been occurring. At some point, those should fall off. I'm very curious to see what happens because they report earnings next week. We know Paramount reported this past week. They did very well. We know Netflix, when they reported, they did quite well. Is Warner Brothers going to follow in that path of being able to grow subscribers, reduce costs on the streaming side as well? Because that's really what I think analysts are looking for right now because they have a big linear business. They have a big um, uh, properties that they, they, they own that obviously is declining with linear TV. So trying to offset that linear business with the streaming business is going to be a key to their success. And Ricardo, I'd like to say as well that I know you like the dividend side, but I think this one is worth holding on to because there appears to be a lot of growth. Uh, what's going to happen when that strike ends with the actors? So I wouldn't get too impatient and sell this just to buy a dividend company. I think you could see over the next year or two some good growth that would surpass what you get in the dividend, especially since you're looking out 20 years down the road. I'd, I'd say stay with Warner Brothers. All righty. Yeah, thanks, guys. I heard everything you said. It sounds good. Um, yeah, I'm going to hold on to it at least for uh, for a year or two and take it from there. All right. Well, you have a good one. You too. Thanks, guys. Have okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. I'd say that opens up the phone line, but uh, we don't have time. And I do. So we got uh, John and Tara Santa, Scott in San Diego. Uh, we won't be able to get to you today, so uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, you can call us in as well to um, talk about that. So great show. A lot of good things we covered today. Yeah, and I, I am really curious to see what happens with Warner Brothers. I mean, they have, again, great assets. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see on that subscriber base how many subscribers they added. Because it, it was a big surprise how many subscribers both Paramount and Netflix added. Yep. And I think, again, people are continuing to cut the cord, which means I think more people are, well, I cut the cord there, so I can afford, you know, $10 a month, we'll call it, right. on a new streaming <clears throat> service. So it may be beneficial. I wouldn't buy the stock just for the quarterly report when it comes out, I believe, next week. But, you know, it should give us some good insight. I think that that trend should be beneficial to a lot of these streaming companies. 
And, and Warner Brothers does have a very famous uh, CEO who's done a lot of major things in David the industry. David Zaslav. Yes. Yeah. yeah and he, he's just a, a, a gentleman that can really do well for this company going forward. It's not going to happen in a week, but be patient with it. Well, there's a closing bell. Thanks for the list of Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only and should not be used as an investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brett Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, great information there. Um, sign up for the newsletter when you're there as well. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think.